All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Minster Fullers? What the fuck, Abilies? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I know if you're listening to this, when it's released, which is Christmas morning, I believe, uh, you must need some relief. You must need some distraction from something, whether it's family or the fact that you're alone or the fact that maybe you didn't get the presents you wanted or you're taking a walk or it's just one of those sad, quiet mornings. I, I Look, I get it, man. There's part of me that, that really looks forward to the holidays in Los Angeles because it really quiets down here and you can drive without with very little difficulty on the highways. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to hit the highways and drive. I'm going to drive the 110. I'm going to just drive it up and down. Then I'm going to drive down to the 101 and drive 10 miles in either direction. And then I'm going to drive the 10 all the way to the beach and back. With nobody on the highway. That's my plan. That's my gift to me for Christmas morning. To drive on the LA freeways with no obstacles. To drive on the highways of America like they were meant to be driven on. With freedom. Not with frustration. Merry Christmas to me and my quiet highway drives. Yeah, I'm going to probably do that. I think that actually it sounds like a great idea. I don't know what you're up to. I, I do hope the holidays are going well. I hope that you know, you're there amongst the rapping and you've you've experienced some joy or you've maybe watched some of your children break the things you gave them already knowing they would break it or perhaps they uh, they love what you gave them or perhaps perhaps you're just you're you're now feeling a weird pang of sadness that your gift was not received properly but the bottom line is the season is about uh, opening your hearts right i mean is that what we're told <laughs> giving does not necessarily mean it has to be uh, an object you get it man right you get it right it's not about shopping it's about it's about love about an open heart right look or else it's just another day it's vacation whatever I, I can't even wrap my brain around what exactly it means i mean i grew up with all this shit i grew up with the you know surrounded by christmas trees and christmas carols and you know, red and green and, you know, gingerbread candies and Santa hats and all that shit. So I'll tell you, it's a lot more appealing than the Jewish version. I mean, it's a lot more exciting with the lights. We have a festival of lights, but for some reason that festival of lights doesn't is not equal to the lights that are, you know, down on, uh, on Coringa, which is a street a block and a half from me. <laughs> and these two houses where these, uh, these uh, Mexican folks live are just, they, they, they're in competition with the lighting in the holidays. And uh, the, whatever the Festival of Lights means can't compete with those two houses down on Coringa in Highland Park. That's what I'm telling you. Much more exciting. Less heavy, you know, the, the iconography and imagery of Christmas than, than that of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, it was always like the you know, eternal flames. There were Maccabees involved. There was an ancient battle. You know, and with Christmas, it was, you know, this, um, this, this wizard kid was born. Some kings gave him some spices. And, uh, and and everything was changed forever. And that's why we have war. So, Merry Christmas. Oh, before I forget, I want to say that I put a I put a bonus episode up on the WTF Premium. So, if you get the free app and upgrade to Premium, there's a bonus episode waiting there for you. It's me taking a tour of a record pressing plant, United Record Pressing in Nashville, and learning about vinyl. I learned some things. You could learn some things. So uh, go get the free app, upgrade to premium. I'm going to be putting more bonus uh, premium content up as I I feel uh, uh, inspired to do so. All right, so 
Today on the show, uh, Larry Grobel is here. Larry Grobel, and I, I don't necessarily expect you to know him, but uh, he was the guy, I met him through a friend of mine. He's the guy that did most of the big Playboy interviews back in the day. This is a guy that has interviewed everybody. Everybody. The list is insane. Here's, here's I'll give you a quick taste of the writers. Sal Bello, Ray Bradbury, Truman Capote, uh, Roger Ebert, Betty Friedan, Allen Ginsberg, Alex Haley, Elmore Leonard, Norman Mailer, Joyce Carol Oates, Bud Schulberg. I mean, those are just writers, actors, all of them. Ed Asner, Alec Baldwin, Warren Beatty, Marlon Brando, Jeff Bridges, Pierce Brosnan, Sid Caesar, Nicholas Cage, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Jose Ferrar, Henry Fonda, Harrison Ford, on and on and on. Actresses, Lucille Ball, Kim Basinger, Marilyn Chambers, yeah, okay, Joan Collins, uh, Jane Fonda, Zaza Gabor, Meryl Streep, Barbara Streisand, crazy. This guy's interviewed everybody, so I figure why not interview the interviewer, right? Wouldn't you figure that? And when I I interviewed him in two parts. What's interesting about Larry is he came to this gig much like I did. It was not the plan, but is where you know that's what we ended up doing is talking to people. He wanted to be a writer of a different type, uh, and he also wanted to write novels, which he's writing now. He's got he's got an extensive bunch of books that you can find if you go to uh, if you do a Google search on Larry Grobel, it will take you to a place LawrenceGrobel.com. Go to LawrenceGrobel.com. And he's written a shitload of books. He wrote a, a very important and the book on uh, the Houston family, as in John Houston, Walter Houston, Angelica Houston, and the uh, the son. I forget his name. He wrote a book on uh, he, Conversations with Brando. He wrote a book on Al Pacino. But the point is, is that when he was interviewing people, this would go over the course of weeks, maybe months, for one interview. I mean, he spent weeks and, like, months with Barbara Streisand, he went to Brando's Island. I mean, what you had to do back then, back in the old days, crazy. So what I did to honor his style, whatever for whatever it's worth, is that I did one interview and then I realized, well, he's got to come back just to try it his way, all right? That's how this is structured. So right now, we're going to talk to Lawrence Grobel, Larry Grobel, about his extensive career as an interviewer for Playboy magazine and other outlets. And uh, it's in two parts. I was a little intimidated coming up on this interview. Oh, please. No, but like, you know, I look at, you know, you've interviewed everybody. You were the guy. (laughs) No, but you were the guy that did the interviews of everybody. How many did you primarily work for Playboy? Not primarily, but in but people think that yeah because it's been a uh, uh, I've done about fifty Playboy interviews and fifty television Playboy interviews, so about a hundred total. So the yeah. the Playboy interviews were specifically the uh, like I I was just recently interviewed by Playboy right, but not the twenty did, questions thing. You did the interviews, the Playboy. I did, I did interviews. the big interviews, not right. the twenty questions. I did a few twenty questions. But it's I, a little different. I, I couldn't find a, a Wikipedia page on you. I don't know how old you are. You look like you're fifty, but you know, but given the, the who you've interviewed, unless you were interviewing when you were twelve. 12, I, you got to be older than that. I'm older than that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, fuck man. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't get a number. 
Oh, you want a number? All right, guess again. I won't be insulted. Uh, 62. Okay, I'm a little older than that. Really? Yes. Holy shit. I know, and it's terrible because that's why you don't get work, because people think you're too fucking old. You don't you look know? old. Well, what Wait, can no, I do? You should I... see my wife. <laughs> she's she's Japanese. <laughs> she looks like she's like 35, 40 years <laughs> thank, old. Thank God it went the same that, age. Thank God it went that way. <laughs> yes. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. No, no. Yeah. But uh, but like because I couldn't I couldn't put it together when I when I saw you uh, when I met you and I was like how the fuck did that guy interview Marlon Brando at that time how do you interview uh, John Huston how do you write a book on James Michener what, when did he do that when did that matter <laughs> I look I interviewed Lillian Gish for God's sakes <laughs> you did I did but what, she must have been a hundred. She, yeah. was, she was pretty old. She, I, she must have been in, in, in the nineties, probably. But like, I was intimidated because I don't like. I'm, I'm hesitant to call myself an interviewer. Oh, you are. You're a very good interviewer. Well, yeah. I appreciate that. But when people tell me, it's like, oh, what do you do? How do you do interviews? I'm like, I don't look at it. I don't look at it that way. Well, look, you and I. I mean, what you do, you've done four or five hundred of these things. So you already, and plus radio interviews you did before. So you know how to do it. You know how to talk to people. Right. That's really important. Right. I prepare probably more than anybody else. For instance, this morning I got an email from you. <laughs> and it says, you know, uh, do you have a list of your interviews that you've done? <laughs> yeah. And I went, oh, man, I do, but it's in paper. It's typewritten. I don't have it in the computer. So I got up and I typed it for you, you know, but I, and I put you it You just out typed there. all this shit today? Yeah, I did it all today. So, but the point is... Um, I have read your book right. uh, a month or two ago. Yeah. I have watched your shows. I, I have listened to some of those interviews you did. Yeah. And I prepared questions. See, yeah. I write down actual questions. For me? For you. And I wanted to, we're going to, we're doing this, this Saturday up. evening post and this, so I'm doing a three question thing with you. You're talking to me and, right. it's gonna, and we'll have a good time with it. Right. But I prepared all this because that's how I work. I write. That's I have fifty questions. I need three. But, the, but that's the proper way to work. <laughs> it, well, it might be the proper, but people don't do it anymore. I taught this thing. I taught the art of the interview at UCLA. Yeah. And I mean, you don't realize when kids come in. You know, they're twenty, twenty-two years old, and they want to do this. And I show them how I think you should do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a 10-week intensive, three hours a day course. And is it a journalism course? It's, well, I guess you'd call it that. It was in the English department. Uh-huh. But it was, it was uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the students I did ended up doing, you know, I had one, I, one of my assignments is I gave, I used to give them, uh, uh, th- go out and interview somebody who will help your career. Uh-huh. Because as a student, they'll talk to you. As a journalist, they might not. Right. So pick, you know, pick, you want to be a director? Steven Spielberg. Is that who you like? You know, whoever Who's going to turn down a kid? Exactly. Yeah. Well, m- well, some do, but, yeah. but the most don't. Yeah. So one day I get a, uh, one of my students says to me, um, uh, can you have any good restaurants you want to, to recommend in New York? I said, oh, you, I said, you go to New York? He says, yeah, I'm going for couple, just for the weekend. What are you going to do there? He says, I'm interviewing Tim Robbins. I said, Tim Robbins, no kidding. I said, what are you doing it for? He says, this class. I said, are you shitting me? He said, yes, I've been trying to get the Tim Robbins for Playboy for years. And he says, no. And, you, and he's going in and doing it. So, as a student. Because Tim's a sucker. And I, and I said, sell the damn thing. You yeah. know, get it out. We'll, we'll find a magazine. Is he tough to get? Yeah. Why? He's a yes. difficult interview? I, I don't know. If, I, don't, I guess he's difficult to get. I, I interviewed know. him once live and I never posted it. Because we did a live event. I interviewed him in front of an audience. It was sponsored by somebody else. They asked me to do it. He asked me to do it. I knew him a bit when right. uh, when I was at Air America. They were a little, uh, the two of them were involved. And uh, and after we were done, he wanted me to take out this part that I thought was the best part of the interview. Right. And I, I just didn't publish it. Well, you know, that's the thing. I've had people ask me. I had Brando come to my house. I've had different people come and ask me to see this thing. You know, Streisand fought to see it. Brando did. 
I don't like to show anything. I think that's not journalism anymore. You're, then you're being a secretary. You know, you, you, they, it used to be the early years of Playboy, they did give it to the person. Sinatra, the interview, they gave it to him. He re- redid because it. Because having stuff. him in the, the, the uh, magazine was more, more important yeah. than... And the Paris Review still does that. The interviews of the Paris Review are always given back to the author, so he can go over it and, re- and refix yeah, it. I, don't, I, don't, I never do that. So I, I let people... If people want to sit on stuff or they want to take yeah. it, usually I have found that the only thing people ever want to take out of any of these shows, money. and no, no, not money, when they say shit about other people. Oh, okay, yeah. Like if, yeah. if it could be misconstrued yeah. or- Well, Dolly Parton once asked me, you know, and she said to me, and I said, Dolly, I really don't want to let you see it. She says, she said, but I just please, please I, I promise you, I won't, for, I won't insist on anything. And I really like Dolly, yeah. you know, so I brought the galley with me and I said, Dolly, here's the galleys, but I can't change anything, anything major because it's already in galley form. She reads the whole thing and she says, well, the only thing I'd ask you to do, if you don't mind, she yeah. says, is where I talked about Elton John, I said, I didn't want to be like Elton John. Could you just put an Anne in front of Elton John? And I said, like Anne Elton John. I said, you got it, babe. <laughs> no problem with that. I have no problem with that. <laughs> but what do you, I mean, how did you start out? I mean, I, I, I'm, so you're in your 60s now and you look like you're 50, which is good. But where, you come from Long Island? Uh, well, Brooklyn and Long Island. I've been in Brooklyn for nine and a half years, then Jericho, Long Island. And what what, what kind of, where did you come from? Your parents were first generation? Uh, they were, yes, they, they came, uh, my grandparents were out of Russia and Poland. My my father. Me too. Yeah. We're like the same person. Yeah. yeah. And I go to Poland all the time now. Every you do? Year. For, since 2007. I'm oh, for on the, that uh, for cinema- camera image film festival. That somehow, that's a really good story if you want to hear it. I will. The camera thing, image yeah, film festival, which somehow or another you created. <laughs> you were yeah. responsible yeah. for. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fucking responsible for and it's 20 years and it's among the 50 best film festivals in the country but that's a story yeah but yeah. so alright so <laughs> you grow up in, yep. in Brooklyn and, and Jericho now right. was was the was the how many siblings you got I got one sister older Okay, so there's two of you, and what's your what's your, what's your father? What were your parents? My father, like? my father was uh, in the pharmaceutical business. So first, he was a sales manager, salesman, sales manager. Then he became vice president of a, a, one of the companies. He and that's when for. he moved to Jericho. Yeah, <laughs> well, Jericho at the time we moved in 1956. It was the the house cost twenty three thousand nine hundred dollars. I remember that twenty three nine. Where is it now? Is it in your family still? No, oh. no. My pet, my father died. My mother recently died, but she sold it. She sold it for about three hundred and fifty thousand, and now it's probably about eight hundred because uh-huh. Jericho's rated the top five schools in the country. The high oh, school. no kidding. Yeah, yeah, they're always highly rated, so that's kind of cool. But but um. I had a great time in Jericho. I mean, it was really a, uh, you know, you had your bicycle, you got out and you did your things. You, could, yeah. you had sex with the girls and you, had, you know. Yeah. You were doing was, that in high school? In high school, yeah. Good for uh, you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. In, in, the, in, the, in what, in the 50s? 10th. No, the 60s. come on, 60s. The 60s yeah. <laughs> so it was starting to happen more. Yeah, the 60s were, were, you know, I sort of, I mean, like we didn't have any dope in high school. I uh-huh. mean, that, that I didn't see till college. You know, I went to UCLA. But but um, in high school, it was still, you know, beer people drank. When did you, you know? go to college? What year? Uh, 64 to 68. So you're right at the beginning of it. Everything's changing. Yeah. I was actually, when I applied to college, I had applied to go to, um, uh, Berkeley and I got in and, um, so I decided I'll make that decision because nobody in my high school ever went further than Michigan. So I thought I'll go to California. You know? Yeah, why not? And and uh, and Ber- that was the year of Mario Savio and the, and the free speech movement in Berkeley. But at the last minute, I thought, hmm, I had an aunt and uncle who lived in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I thought, well, it'd be nice. I'm going so far away. I may not get back home for a year. I, my parents didn't have that kind of money. You know, they said, right. if you go to California, you, can only, you can't come home. Right. So... Um, 
So I thought maybe I get a home cooked meal once in a while. So I said, why don't I go to UCLA instead? So I, at that time, they let me do it pretty easily. I said, you know, last minute. For what were you studying? I, I was an English major. I started in poli sci the first year, but I thought it was all bullshit. I worked for a congressman once, and I which thought, congressman? His name was Herbert Tenzer. He yeah. helped him get in, and and uh, but they, but Alan Lowenstein replaced him. So uh-huh. he got assassinated. But but the, the congressman that that was just. Um, a real learning experience, you know. I wrote, I, I, I was a writer for him when I was like sixteen years old. But, but, you know, we helped him get in. The young people did door to door, and we, we ended up in his office, and and um, we used to meet with him. And he was the head of, I think, Barton's Candy, uh-huh. and um, so he was an older man. You know, the Vietnam War was going on. Johnson's in president. We used to meet with him backyard, and we say, uh, Congressman, now that you're here, you know, you'll vote against the war. That's Oh, he says, I don't think I can do that, boys. I said, what are you talking about? That's why we, we you know, work for yeah. you. He says, well, the president seems to know what he's doing. I just got here. I said, yeah, look, you got to go. I says, otherwise, we're going to go work for somebody else to, make, to get you uh-huh. out of here in two years, yeah. which we did. Yeah. So, um, But we went, ended up going to Washington to his office, and we, I got to look through his papers you know, uh-huh. and uh, file stuff. And I got to see how he got the nomination. And how he got the nomination was very interesting because uh, at that time, the Democratic Party said... Uh, whoever wants a nomination, how much money can you put up yourself? So one guy said he could put up 15 grand, another said he could put 20, and Herbert Tenz, I think, said he could do 30 or $35,000, and that's how he got it. Yeah. Think about it today. So they, 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 (laughs) but he bought it. Basically bought the, you know. Well, it's it's a sad thing. He still had to get elected. (laughs) When you're an idealist, and especially if you're a lefty idealist, it's, it's it's a rough day or month or year when you get schooled on how it really works. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very yeah. difficult thing. It's very thing mind to... blowing when you. Because I, I thought Brando really understood it. I really. Because everybody. Of all Brando people. Was, yeah. Well, he was paranoid, but he had a right to be paranoid. He said to me, you know, I, I said, do you really think that they're watching you and all? You know, because the FBI. Oh, I know they're watching me, he says, because I've taken Dennis. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Hopper? No, no, no. Yeah. The Indian. The Indian. Oh, uh, right, right, well, right. Anyway, uh, there was Russell Means and. Yeah. and um, and and he brought them to his island. He helped bail them out and all. Dennis Means, I think it was. But he said that um, he said he says, look, Larry. He says at twelve o'clock at night, there are guys working on the uh, uh, the phone, the phone lines. He says who works at twelve o'clock at night outside my house? You know, he's up on Mulholland because he was a political activist for the yeah. indigenous people. Yeah, and and that was a big deal. Yeah. And what year was that? Was it Nixon? Uh, well, it would have been Nixon and and yes, it probably would have been Nixon in the seventies. He was 60s, he looked at everybody. 70s, yeah. Nixon was crazy, yeah. and yeah. He, he his abuses of power in terms of like <laughs> looking into people's business was like in in retrospect horrendous. Well, look at and he's very know, personal. Well, he took everything very personal. John Lennon, but, he crushed. Well, look at well J J Edgar Hoover had that's why he stayed in power for so long. I mean, why was the head of the FBI? Because he had something on everybody. Every on president, everybody. he said it all. That's how politics. That's yeah. how power works. Power works. All right, so you go to UCLA, you're studying English. Yeah. So what do you want to be? A writer. I've always wanted to be a writer. So it, it, Since when, I was 15 years, I won a Newsday American History Contest when, the, when I was 15. I had to write about three America's three greatest presidents. Yeah. I, 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 I got lucky. I won. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and, that, and the award was uh, a watch, your name in the paper, uh, and you get to meet the president of the United States, who was John F. Kennedy at the time, um, uh, in Washington at the end of the, in, in June, at the end of the year. Yeah. So each month, two more winners would happen with different essays. So there was a boy and a girl selected each month. So there were 16 of us who ended up going to Washington. And 
Unfortunately, John Kennedy at the time is in Berlin giving his Ich bin ein Berliner yeah, yeah. speech. I'm not so, a donut. So they, I am a donut. I am a donut. Yeah. So, so they let they got us to meet Robert Kennedy, uh-huh. uh, the Attorney General. So we sat there and I got to meet Bobby. And Kennedy. you're 15, um, 16 yeah, years old. Yeah, I was just 16 at that time. When I, uh, that time. But what did so you? So that I, I saw it writing paid basically 600 words, and I'm, so I'm, I'm meeting was, the Attorney General of the United States right. and possibly the President. I, I, everybody, all of a sudden, people taught, treated me differently in school. You know, they they announce you over the. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. sure. It's a big deal. The PA thing. So yeah. So uh, I still have the watch. You know, it's engraved. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's really was. But, a nice but one. was it always like uh, you saw it as as magazine or or, or short pieces? Never, never. I always saw it myself. Look, James Joyce was what influenced me. You understood I, that as much as I could. I mean, is that I, what you I mean, I've, I've I've written a book called Beginning and Finnegan, which is all about the search for Finnegan's Wake. It's a novel. I, uh-huh. You know, it's a fun thing to do. So you want to but, be a novelist? Yeah, I wanted to be a novelist. And so and you, my like, heroes were uh, J.P. Donlevy, Saul Bellow, Norman Mailer. You know, I mean, the the the, the writers, the heavyweights. Uh, you know, yeah, and 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 I had you know Dostoevsky. I read when I was young. You know, so I had a, I, I knew what great literature. The hardest was. thing about Dostoevsky is remembering names, all the names. The names <laughs> they keep changing. You know, <laughs> yeah, you got to keep yeah. going back. Yeah. Got to make a list for yourself. Well, you know how this happened. I mean, I had a friend named Paul, and his father was a very famous bird artist, author, singer, and I, he did Birds of the World mm-hmm. and Field Guide to North American Birds. And I grew up watching this. Yeah. So that wasn't my father who influenced me. It was author, singer, and a, and a pianist named um, Ted Harris. The artists. Yeah. Yeah. So, and because this is a guy who worked at home, and he painted, and he got he would go to get to, from the Museum of Natural History. He was the only person allowed to take out the stuffed birds. You yeah. know, have it in his house, and I'd see these eagles and stuff, and I'd watch him just draw them. I go, wow, man, this the is commitment. Life. Smoking his yeah, pipe, yeah, you know, yeah. just living at home. So the life of so, an artist. Yes, I really enjoyed seeing the life of the artist. So you go to UCLA so, and everything's changing in the world, and you're you're laboring over James Joyce books, yeah. <laughs> trying to portrait the, the artist. Yeah, well, that's yeah, a little Ulysses, easier, right? Yeah, right. Well, Ulysses is impossible. No, no, no. Finnegan's Wake is impossible. Finnegan's Wake is impossible. Ulysses is, is possible. It's it, possible. Yeah, it is. He, he, I, but you need the guide. You need the Anthony Burgess guide to Finnegan's Wake or something like that. You know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like reading the Sound and the Fury <laughs> with uh, with the Clanth Brooks guide to what's going on those stream well, of consciousness things well you know i just started reading uh nicholson baker have you ever read no. his work very good writer yeah. ready to recommend his first book called mezzanine is a novel that is about a guy going up in that mezzanine uh, an escalator that's it the whole book 160 yeah. something yeah. page i've been curious about that book so i got to know him i met him at a signing for something else but i've read his later books i never read the early ones and i i i like the way his mind works and he's very original so now i'm reading mezzanine and he does you know, the way uh, uh, he does a footnote, but yeah. a footnote that is four pages long yeah. about a phonograph needle and a groove, you know, and, a sc- and I'm going, this is wild. How do you even read this? Do you stop mid-sentence to go to the footnote? Do you read it afterwards? But that's I love minds thing, though, at right? work. Yeah, that's his. You know, yeah. David Foster Wallace did this yeah. infinite jest. But- it just that I got. I liked Gertrude Stein. I liked. I liked. You know what? Interesting writing. I liked Thomas Pynchon. I knew I could never see. Here's where it fucked me up, and this is why I went into journalism. I always wanted to write. Yeah. I tried writing a novel. I tried another one. I, you know, I and I. I what do you I mean you tried? You finished. I wrote it. a novel, but okay. I, I didn't. I didn't give it to anybody. So I didn't think it was good enough. It didn't compare to who I. I thought it was great when I wrote it. Yeah. But then a couple of days later, I. How I, old were you? 17, 18, 19. Was your you first know. novel. You wrote your first novel 18. when you're 18 yeah. and you decided shit. <laughs> yeah, shit. I needed experience. I said, right. I need experience. So um, that's why I joined the Peace Corps. 
uh, you know, and I went to Africa for three years. To live know. the life of the, oh, right. so you something to write about. <laughs> but I wasn't going in the army. See, uh, that's the other thing I did is I avoided the draft. By going to the Peace Corps? No, they wouldn't let you out like that I, uh, by uh, making a f- decision that if they took me, I was going to leave the country. So you come back, you want to be a novelist, you got all this life experience. You didn't write the memoir for years though, right? Right. I, didn't, I, I, wrote, I started writing this memoir. See, I, the biggest problem I had is I have a lot of stories with famous people i mean i've been with you know the playboy interviews allowed me to spend 10 hours 20 hours i'd go to know, but how does that but how quickly because obviously look as a guy like i talk to celebrities too and you know you made a life out of it but then i see you know after all is said and done you know you self-publish novels you write these other books (laughs) like you know right out of the gate i'm like well where the hell that dream died Yeah, the novels never died. I'm still writing novels. But, I'm writing but, one but, now. But, but but the thing is, what happened was, yes, you have to make a living somehow. Yeah. So so what, when I went back, when I came back from Ghana, I had a different perspective. I spent a year, uh, seven months traveling around the world after yeah. I left Ghana. Three years in Ghana, and then uh, you know I'm traveling around India and, and, and East Africa and, and Korea, uh, 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 Hong Kong and, and Japan and all. And I get back to the states, and I have a I look at the, I look at what everybody has, and I look at what people are doing, and I'm thinking. Man, they don't realize it's this is the dream for every Ghanaian I knew. They want to come to America. They don't realize the you know what it's like. People are jumping out of airplanes, doing you know skydiving that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I said no Ghanaian would do that. That's insane. You know right. why would you risk your life once you got here? So I had a, that perspective, and I was able you to pre- use you that appreciate the bare essentials. I of appreciated what you- life in a different way. Yeah, and so I. When I, I went to Newsday, I said, look, I can write these articles. I, you know, I'll do stuff. He said, well, you know, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? I said, I can do it. Yeah. And anyway, I got a couple of assignments. And one, one assignment about the history of aviation on Long Island led to me finding out people were building their own planes. Some of them built it in their kitchen and had to knock down a back wall to get the plane out. Some, you know, I mean, someone did it in an, in an apartment in New York. They built a plane. How do you get? Yeah, it's insane what was happening. Then I, I met a guy who, was, who jumped, you know, was uh, around Lindbergh's time. And, you know, and he was fascinated. He had a whole museum in his room downstairs basement. I met uh, a woman learning how to fly, and then gliders going up in a glider. So I did all. I went to the editor. I said, "Lee, you know, besides this history, I could do this, 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 this." And they said, "Do it all. We'll do a whole issue like this." So I do. I jump out of airplanes. I go up in a glider. I get sick. You know, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, I was and I, I was doing this new journalism, basically, right. all from my point of view, like Gonzo. Uh, yeah, it was Gonzo type journalism. It was great. It was yeah. fun. And they were paying me five hundred bucks an article. I did. I was living in my parents' basement. I had just come back from you know i hadn't found a place yet and i'm writing like crazy nine articles i hadn't gotten paid yet i didn't give a shit what are you, I, 20 you know, yeah 22 maybe yeah. 21 22 yeah, yeah when I, but you're so, living you're doing I'm things you would never have done yeah i'm doing transcendental meditation my girlfriend comes from japan you know and she comes and we live together we got a place in brooklyn she she thinks i'm a dilettante because i keep getting into things for three weeks you yeah. know i uh, tm i started doing tm don't but phone rings i can't answer it the At whole the thing. beginning and i write about well, it that was the first wave of it yes but I still have that word, and I still do it when I'm on a plane, and it's starting to go a little bumpy. Oh, so it, it, I, I use that. In. I lock into that. <laughs> but, but, but it's interesting. So you come back from Ghana with this appreciation yeah. of, of of sort of. Uh, the extravagance of American culture, but yeah. you know, you get the gig, and you're like, I'm going to do it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, why not? Yeah, why, why not? not? Did, I mean, I mean, I I saw uh, had to do uh, martial arts. People doing that, so I said, Well, I'll take. I'll, so I take these classes. And what I do is it? 1970, 69. What? 
I came back in the 71, 72. Okay. 72. So in so, 72, 73 is when I'm doing all these crazy things. So it's part I get strapped that, in a sulky to go around Roosevelt Raceway as a, with the trotters uh-huh. so I can write a story about that. I go with, you know, people doing demolition derby. I say, can I get in a car so I can feel what this is like? And I was, I'm doing all this crazy stuff and it's working. And, and the articles are good, you know, 70, so they're, they're now, publishing. Right. So 72 is also like, you know, the 60s kind of like, you know, spread out into like just a complete change of the culture. Everybody's a hippie. Everybody's pushing the envelope. Right. Everyone's having, you know, a relatively drugged out good time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. So right. so that's the, that's the environment. Right. <laughs> like the, the, the change had taken place. Right. right. And yeah. so, all right, so you're writing all these great articles. Right. And then I decide I want to just write my novel. I just want to get into novels. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to move to California. It's 1973. A friend of mine who I knew in college, becomes the director of Antioch College West, which is Antioch, which is part of Antioch yeah. in Yellow Springs, Ohio, but it's out here in L.A. Right. And he writes me, he says to me, would you be the, my assistant director on this? I said, I'm not looking for a job, man. I just want to come out and do my, this stuff. He says, I, I, I think you could be really good at this. I said, I'll do it part-time. I'll do it half-time. So I, that, so I came out. And I started doing that for Antioch. And then I started, I, I get, the minute I got an apartment, above uh, in west hollywood i got this place in a garage you know over a garage you know? yeah and i get the, the phone installed the next day stan green from newsday that i was writing all yeah. these articles well calls me up and says we figured out a way to get off long island i said what do you mean he says all our articles are based on long island you know but but if we want to do interviews with household names i said okay he says yeah so uh how about we'll do the first one with may west I said, is she still alive? And he goes, she goes, yeah. I says, I said, how do I get to it? He says, we don't know. You're the one in Hollywood. So I said, let me see what I can do. So I call up Paramount Pictures. I found, you know, and they give me a name, a publicist or whatever. And I get to Mae West. And she agrees because people knew Newsday. So they would agree to it. Uh-huh. So I go to see Mae West. I, I, I wear a sports jacket. I, I go to a flower place. First interview. First interview with the celebrity is yeah. with Mae West. Besides this African I did for African Arts Magazine when I was in Ghana. But okay. Vincent Covey. So, so, so I go. And I, I, I go to buy flowers. And I said, well, this is good for Mae West. And the guy says, oh, she doesn't like these flowers. She likes these flowers. Of course, they were the most expensive ones. So uh-huh. I said, oh, he must. No, so I bought them. I Sucker. go there, right? Yeah, and, and 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 she comes out, and she's she's May West. She's got the hair, yeah. full, you know, five inches high, and the and the the wig on, and and the high heel shoes, like a Dolly Parton before Dolly Parton. Yeah. So, um, we we go to sit down. I take out my 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 tape recorder. I put it on, and she goes, "Oh no, no, no! You can't use that." And I this is my first. Yeah. I said, "What do you mean?" She says, someone used that for once and, and uh, they made a record out of it because her voice was very famous. I said, Miss West, I, I, I'll sign something that says I won't do that. But, you know, I wasn't, you know, no, no. She absolutely insisted I can't record it. So luckily I had a pad with me and she spoke slowly. And so I was able, you know, I'm writing yeah. everything and talking. Okay. So one night, I, that's my first one. I come back. Send what do you it, open with? <laughs> oh, I don't remember then. No, but, but I mean, it's she like, was yeah. the richest woman in the war uh, in the United States. She made the most money. She made four hundred eighty thousand dollars in nineteen thirty two or something more yeah. than any anybody uh, around. So I, you know, and then she got arrested. You know, she was she would because she she was she did this uh, very sexy uh, show on Broadway. Yeah. And, they put, and then they the warden used to want her panties, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it was mm-hmm. like all these little famous things. So there was a lot to talk to Mae West about. And right. she was in Myra Breckenridge, and you know, so she you know so could talk about that and what have you so 
I know, W.C. Fields hated yeah. her. She hated him because yeah. he was drinking all the time. So there was, and also she had her secret was enemas yeah. and cocoa butter on her breasts. I mean, you know, like all sorts of shit. I can tell you. And she just but, volunteered you know, this, or? Well, as I talked to her about it. But May, but May West was this, you know, was an interesting character, yeah. you know. And so, but what happened was they get the article that I write, and the editor calls me up, and, I, and he says, "Larry," he says, I said, "Listen, I got, I got this May West thing. Listen." The next time you do an interview, use that photographer because he took a good picture of us. You know, I said, uh huh. Yeah, try to use him every time you do one of these. I said, okay, uh, Stan, what do you think of the interview? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, that was fine. He says, but that photographer used it. So I, I realized right away what's important in life: right? Right. the picture. So <laughs> I don't care about the words. Who was the photographer? Rick Meyer, the Did, LA Times, who works for him. And, oh, you, you just know, wait. You, you just called him. Wait, how did you get that? Oh, guy? he worked for the. Well, the, they got him. They, oh, they, they, news they, they got him. Right. News they got him. So that gets you rolling on this thing. Then I said, "You can I?" So I, I did Warren Beatty. I did Jane Fund. I did Share. But you know, a bunch of these people: Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball. Um, and then I. Started this is all thinking, in the early seventies. Yeah, and then I said, "You mean I can do anybody?" They said, "Anybody?" I said, "How about Linus Pauling?" They said, okay. I said, how about Henry Moore? The, how, they said, okay. J.P. Donlevy. They even said okay to that, although, you know, I was really surprised. But but the, you, what you find, though, is that there are only a number of artists, writers, uh, you know, people outside the entertainment business that are household names. The very few. And then you get back to your movie stars sure. and TV stars, you know. Um, but I always fought for the writers. I always wanted to talk to, you know, Norman Mailer and Truman Capote. And, and you and, did. Uh, I mean, you wrote a book with yeah, Truman James Capote. Mitchner. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, but that's but how it's more started. compelling, aren't they? I but mean, you see, you see, Mark. That just to, I'm sorry, I yeah, didn't sorry. fully answer your question. But but how? What happened was I started doing these things. They started getting accepted. They they were interesting. Elliot Gould was a real challenge. You know, I couldn't get through to him for a number of times because he was always a little bit stoned. And I'm going, Elliot. You know, uh, and, and anyway, I did I, five after five sessions. I send in the article, and they came back to say we, we can't use this. It sounds too stoned. That's the first rejection I've got. And I refused to have a rejection. So I said, let me go back. Let me go back. Uh, so I go back and I call Elliot. And I said, listen, man, they think it's time to do stone. Let me come over. So he says, okay. So I go over there. And that day he has James Kahn James and, and these Playboy bunnies yeah. uh, the play, uh, who are uh, – Girls introduces me. Says, "Hi, I'm the popcorn girl." There was a uh, the cover of a, of a Playboy with a woman holding right. popcorn yeah. with a hand down a popcorn thing. She's the popcorn girl. I mean, it's like and Groucho Marx was there. Yeah. <laughs> Groucho Marx. Why, why didn't you just go like, like I'm going to interview uh, him? He said, "Well, we went to his house. You to know, Groucho's we, house. Belly and I went to Groucho's house. So this is the mid '70s in yeah. Hollywood. So it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Well, but, I mean, you know, but you know. but when you like after meeting these people. I mean, because I've interviewed actors. A lot of them, not great. They're hard to interview, some of them. Yeah. Why is that? Well, a lot of them don't have the education. A lot of them are insecure. Look, Al Pacino, you know, he didn't even finish high school. You know, I, I met him. He was so nervous. I get to his his, his apartment, and, and he's, you know, he says, uh, you know, and I see he's shifting like this. So I said, Al, um, and I, I go to put on my tape recorder. He says, no, no, don't, don't, don't put that on yet. I said, listen. Just put it on. Once it's on, it's you know we don't we can forget about it. You know, and he says, okay, you know best. The reason I got to Al is because I did Brando. This is all backwards now, but but you know he said he'll only do an interview with the guy who did Brando. I became the guy who did Brando for many years, and that's were you the, were you the only one or something? Yeah, so, well, Truman Capote did Brando in uh, during the making of Sayonara, right, and. Brando got pissed off at that article and didn't talk to anybody for 25 years. And, and then you I were get the it. guy. Yeah. Who got? Who sent you on that assignment? Playboy. Yeah, that, that was because of Streisand. I had done. I had been doing these Playboy, these Newsday interviews. Yeah. And then what happened was, I started thinking, 
I'm only asking them 30 or 40 questions. I'm only in there for about an hour or two at the most. What if I could really go deeper in this? What if I could really spend a day with you, two days? I, I got curious about the form and the, the permission. If they allow me to ask them anything, that's amazing. You yeah. know, I mean, I come in, I meet you, even you know, on radio. We'll talk about things, but I'm not going to ask you about abortions you may have paid for, or you know, uh, failures of sex or tax money you owed. I'm not going to ask you that. Uh, those a, are important you know, questions. I don't know if they're important, but they but they may bring out they're something examples, in you. Sure. I'm giving you examples of things you you would never ask even in, in, in an hour. But if 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 you get into conversations with somebody for days, weeks, or months as I did with Streisand over nine months, you basically can ask almost anything, and you really get to know somebody. Because you build a relationship. You're building a relationship. Are you still friends with her? I wouldn't say friends. I would say not friends. I, I just, you know, I mean, if I see her, we talk. <laughs> but I don't go to her house. But you spent you know? nine months with Barbara Streisand. Spent nine months what with year? Wait, wait, in the 70s? That was what the uh, my first Playboy interview, actually. When I finally realized that, that interviewing in depth would be interesting, yeah. I said, how can I do a long interview Playboy was the only place doing yeah. it. So I said, okay, let me interview you Hefner for Newsday, impress him, and he'll see what I can do. You're thinking, that actually, you're thinking. That actually worked. Yeah. So, so now I get, I, uh, that Playboy says, what are you working on? I said, I'm trying to get to Barbara Streisand. This person, they said, if you can get to Streisand, we're interested. So I got back in touch with Streisand's people, Lee Salters, and he, I said, look, if you talk to me, Playboy covers the world. You know, they got 19 publications around yeah. the world. Uh, new, I can give a piece to Newsday. 350 people will, will uh, magazines around the country will yeah. do that. You can just talk to me and I'll saturate it. I don't hear back from Streisand for months and months and months. And then she gets pissed off at an article that Frank Pearson wrote in the New York magazine called My Battles with Barbara, John and Barbara. About yeah. that. So she, I get a call saying Barbara Streisand wants to see you. Todd Ayo Studios. I said, okay, is this business or pleasure? And they go, just get there. They're really kind of curt. So I go there, and I'm at outside waiting for her, and it takes a little while, and she finally comes out with her entourage of four or five people. And she says, and she doesn't say hi or hello, but no, comes right to me, nose to nose, and she says, why does the press hate me? First question right off the bat. And I, and I just took a step back, you know, and I said, I'll tell you why I hate you. And I started to tell her, you know, you keep me waiting, you do this, I, you have to go through the, all, all your people, your well, manager. That's ballsy. Yeah, it was. But you see, I immediately recognized when I saw her that she reminded me of my sister, you know, this <laughs> Jewish American princess. So I was able to I, I was able to zero in on that. You, you know? knew the language. Yeah. So so anyway, the five people behind her go, <gasps> yeah. I mean, they are shocked. Nobody talks to her. And this is when she's as big as, as, yeah. as you can be, you right. know. She's making a star as one at that time. So- she looks at me for a second. She says, okay, come with me. And we go in the room, and she says, I have to watch this, you know, the, the cut of A Star is Born. Yeah. Sit down, sit down next to me. So we sit in these two leather chairs. We're in this big studio. We're the only people there. And I'm going, God, please let me like this movie. Let me like this movie. Because, you know, like, everything's going to turn around this. And I, I watch this movie, and I don't care for it, right? Yeah. So, and I know, because I'm, I'm not a good actor. You'll see it in my face. And I'm thinking, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And sure enough, the thing's over. She turns to me and goes, well? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. And that was enough. And then John Peters comes and he's going, who's this guy? And he starts yelling, screaming. She introduces me and he backs away. So then she says, okay, talk to my publicist, Lee, you know, and we'll arrange something. I said, no, I'm not talking to your publicist. I've been talking to your publicist for months and months and I can't stand it anymore. If you want to really do this, give me your phone number. I'll call you directly. Yeah. And she goes to a pad, yellow pad, and she writes B and she writes her number. She cuts off the piece like this and gives me a piece of paper this big yeah. with her number on it. Yeah. And I call her and we, I go to do it. 
finally, it, that took more months. Now I finally get to do it. I'm ready to see her, all set to go. And she comes down the steps of in, in, in her home, in Homely Hills, and she gives me a, uh, a paper. I look at the paper. I says, what is this? She says, just sign it, and we can start. And it says, Dear Barbara, and, uh, and I look on the second page, and signed by me. Yeah. And it's a big letter saying... You have the right to terminate this interview at any time. Once it's done, you can, you know, the, you will own the right. tapes. You will do this. Right. You will then blah blah blah. I'll make any chance. And I said, I'm not signing this. Just what are you talking about? Everybody signs it. I said, Barbara, I'm not a secretary. I see myself as an artist the way you see yourself. If you can look at me that way and accept what I do as an art, then we can do this. Otherwise, we get now. I'm not just saying yeah. it. I'm yelling, <laughs> yeah. and she's yelling back. And we're sitting there with our fists like this, yelling at each other. And I finally said, "I'm not your fucking secretary," you know. So, so she makes a determination. She's, you know, and then she goes, "All right, let's do it." So we go in the other room to do it. Phone rings. It's her lawyer. Did he sign? She says, "No, he didn't sign." She says, "Hangs up." Next one side, it's John Peters. Did he sign? Yeah. No, he didn't sign. What are you talking about? Then, then Marty Ehrlichman, the manager, calls. Did he sign? And now this time, Barbara's pissed off too. You know, so she says, "No, he didn't sign." Here, you talk to him, and she gives me the phone. I hear on the phone this yelling coming out. I don't want to fucking talk to him. <laughs> so I said, "He don't want to talk to me." I gave back the phone. <laughs> yeah. So she takes the phone and she says, "I'm doing it," and that's it. She hangs up, and then we go sit by the fireplace and. Within five minutes of me turning on the tape recorder, she starts talking about sex. I have prepared hundreds of questions. I don't have a single question on sex. I never thought we'd get to sex. I mean, you know, or if I warmed up, maybe later. I didn't write any now. Right. And, and I'm going, wow, what's she doing here, you know? And I realized it. She was committing. Because if, if, if I left, if, she, if all her lawyers and people t- told her, you can't do this anymore, she gave me material that I could use somewhere in the tabloid or something. Right. You know? So that was interesting. Um, and, you thought uh, she was that calculating? Yeah, oh, yeah. Barbara's, Barbara is very, very, very intelligent. And, no, and I'm, but I mean, she, but and, she, and, and, and yeah, I, look, she told me a story. About, I mean, I, when I'm waiting for, one time I said, you know, Barbara, one thing I will uh, show that ne- that's not right about you, because everybody writes about how you're always late. You got a, pers- a problem. You haven't been late with me the two or three times I was with her. I was with her a lot. After I told her that, she was late every time afterwards, every single time. You know, so <laughs> late was part of her uh, modus operandi. But one day I'm waiting for her, and I'm, I'm in, in the living room, and I notice she's got all this, everything, Sarah Bernhardt letters, this, every, everything's beautiful, everything's expensive. And then there are two uh, Chinese pieces that look like coral. But they're made of wax. They're it's like candles. Yeah. So I said to her one time, you know, Barbara, what I like. I said, you see all this real, real stuff about here, and then you see these candles, and they look real. But they, and she didn't say anything. A couple of months later, I come by, and she says, "Oh, take a look at what I got up there." She got two real ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. She was an interesting woman. But she. You, but the, okay. So now you make this commitment to doing these long form interviews right. that you invest your life in. Yeah. So, like, in, in Streisand was the first. Streisand that. was the first uh, of that the, ilk, and but, that nine months it lasted. And Playboy okay. kept saying, "Where's the?" I wasn't even getting paid. But, until but, I but, but you it. call yourself an artist. What was what was it you were after? What defines the art of an interview? Well, I think there's an art to biography. Um, I think there are some great biographies that have been written, and I think the people, the writers, Leonardo. Well, I, get, I can Leonardo, understand that, but still, so, I mean, so, so, but, so. But I was doing thirty. You know. You know 30,000 word pieces that were being run in Playboy, that's 
50 or 100,000 pe- words that I'm actually doing. I was really doing books on all these people, but never publishing them as books. I never thought of it. I never thought of doing them as but books. So, so the interviews were framed in, uh, uh, you, you didn't do a question and answer in, in, this, in a standard way. You would, you would contextualize, you would add uh, you know, paragraphs setting up everything. So you know, Because the biographer... You know, oh, that's to, yeah, but the, but the uh, biographer—that's like like my Houston book. I talked to yeah. John for hundreds of hours, and then you write a book, you know. But so you're 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 writing that, interviewing. You're it's a different you're kind of tell, art form. You can tell me honestly, like right now. I mean, yeah. how, well, you're writing a book on yeah. somebody with a career the the size of John Houston. I mean, I understand that, but you know, to spend nine months with Barbara Streisand for a thirty thousand word piece. You don't think you could have done that in a shorter time? Was there some learning curve that you had, or did you just like uh, building relationships no. with well, these with people? Well, with Barbara, here with Barbara, I, I said something that I. You know, this is you're very good, Mark. You see, you are good at, at doing this because that's a good question, you know, about that. What you know, but and it's interesting because there's an answer to it, and the answer is <laughs> <laughs> the answer is because Barbara. Um, she, she would she would drive me crazy, you know. I mean, because she she just every time I saw her, it was as, as she didn't trust me, you know. I mean, I had to regain her trust every time. Yeah, but, but what you're describing is a relationship. Yes. I mean, what, ultimately, what it is a relationship, absolutely. But so what I'm saying is, she I kept saying to Barbara, "This is exhausting. Every time I come in here, I have to reestablish." But you like, you're with like you. the Sunshine Boys. You like it sounds like you 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 <laughs> you, you fight, create, you argue. Well, you, you created you. You was a very familiar dynamic. Yeah, you understood where she came from. You understood the the language of you know middle class Jewishness. Right. You know, she represented that to this culture right. at that time, and and you grew up in it. Right. So you you know, I'm just wondering, in and and it, it it's obvious. I mean, there must have been something you were getting out of it other than an article. No, but I said to her, this is what I said to her, Barbara. Let me make a deal with you. Uh. I will not turn this into Playboy until you and I both agree we're finished, because. I can't take this distrust every time I see you. Just trust me yeah. until the end. Yeah. And then distrust me if you don't, you know, but I'm not, I, I give you my word on this. Now, had I said that to anybody else I have ever interviewed, I would have been out of there within the hour. They'd be finished. Thanks. Very nice to meet you. Barbara wasn't that way. Barbara took this interview as seriously as she took a movie, as she takes changing the tile in her pool. She changed the tile. I came there once. She had three buckets full of chlorine. And she says to me, Larry, which gray tile is, do you like the best? And I looked, and they all looked the same to me. Yeah. I said, Barbara, they, they, I, they've said the shades are varied. They, they, I had to really look close. And I realized, she said, if she's already t- t- she said, I already took the tiles out of the pool once because I didn't like the way they looked. And it's summer, and, and, and she wants to get it right this time. This is an, an obsessed woman like, on a degree that you very rarely. I know, meet. But, but it's still funny to me that you know you and I. So I, so I had to. Do, I was committed to doing it until we. Finished. I know, but it sounds like a movie. It is it's a movie. Really, it is a movie. I've written a movie called Conversations with Brando, based on my getting to Brando and Streisand's in it. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> and I haven't seen it because no, it hasn't been done yet. I need somebody to do it. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins read it and loved it. He wanted to play Brando. But and the, so did, so did uh, Rutger Hauer. He met with me. He says, if you ever want to do this, I'd like to do it. They're, not, they're too old for it, you know? But, but, it, but uh, it's just interesting to me that, like, you know, you come out here, you know, you're, you're a kid from Long Island who's right. writing for Newsday. You get this freak, uh, you know, uh, uh, opportunity. Right. 
and and it becomes your life. Yeah. But but it's not you know you. My life is always a writer. In my mind, I'm I'm, write, no, I'm writing novels, I, I, and that's how I see things. So this is an opportunity. I love this life, man. I mean, I was going into people's lives that you can't believe. I'd see George C. Scott at his home, and you know, I'd I'd, I'd go to see Van Damme, and he's in his pool. He says, "Get in the pool with me," and and I put the tape recorder on my on my chest because this is how I begin an interview. So you're still it's jumping insane. out of planes. I'm still jumping out of planes, and it's been my whole life has been it's been fun. I've had a good time. No, you know? I, I get and that. So and I've been able to get paid to do it. And uh, but how and much I, of it has to do with? And then it? I turn things into books, the, <laughs> and <yeah>. novels. <laughs> but the juice of being in proximity to this, you know, what, what is the American equivalent of, of royalty on yeah. some level and extravagance and right. and sometimes incredible vapid shallowness. Right. And and you know that you're up against you know these major talents who who you're the guy. And you know and, and when was the first time you realized that there's no there there? I have never quite got to that point. Brando said to me once, when are you going to stop interviewing actors? You know, he says, you know, because, you know, after a while. And I said, you know, the thing, Marlon, is, is that every one of these actors is different. Everyone surprises me in some way. See, when I used to go in, I was always very nervous, you know, and I was always, and I had an image of what I was going to get into. And, and. I realized nobody was like they were. Lucille Ball wanted to die. Never. And you, you know? always assume that I have that same issue. It's yeah. like you have an idea of them. Right. And they're never like they are. That no, they are. because your idea is based on their public image. Right. How the fuck are you going to know? Exactly. So that's what I realized. What was Lucille Ball like? Lucille Ball was depressed. You know, she, 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 everybody had died, all her friends, and she didn't care for, she didn't see her, her children, she said. You know, she's like, I want to die. She says, I just want to die. I said, you know, I wrote a poem about it called, you know, I love Lucy doesn't love life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that. She had great legs, by the way. She came down the stairs. I couldn't believe it. Um, but everybody was different. You know, I mean, everybody's surprised. Sally Field yeah. tells me, never had a friend. Never, never had friends. I told that to Goldie Hawn. I said, you know, Sally Field says she never had friends. Goldie Hawn became a friend. They became friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, because I was interacting with a lot of these people. But, you know, look, yeah, with Goldie and Kurt, we got to be friends with them, you know. I mean, Al Pacino and I became very, very close, almost like brothers, you know, for over 30 years. I mean, you know, and so, I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I realized friendships are exhausting with stars, so I would, when I felt one that could, you know, I said, well, this potentially could lead to something, I backed away from it. Because I didn't have Feels the time. I, well, because I, I don't have the time. You know, you always, you know, if if, if, would, if Al would call, I'd be on the phone with him for a long time. Marlon, I would talk to Brando on the phone. You know, we would just talk. Well, how you going to not? It. Yeah, how could you not? Exactly. How could you not? But, but, you know, you don't get paid for these calls. You're not their psychiatrist. You know, you are their psychiatrist. They've done, you know, basically, you're one of their therapists in a way. But, and I didn't, I didn't get paid for it. So, what I've done, I write books about it. <laughs> I keep a journal. I have a, I have a journal that's got 20,000 pages, single space since i started with streisand since 76 yeah you know now one day that journal you know i've that part of my memoir that goes up to my up to my time with brando it's called you show me yours that comes from a lot of it, it comes from the journal but when you asked me earlier i mean talk about going all the way around in circles you know the memoir the memoir stops in 1980 but how did i get to write it because I felt guilty. I can't just write about my relationships with a lot of these people. You know what I mean? And I remember Truman Capote, how much problems he had with answered prayers. When, and he said, what did they think I was? A jester? A court jester? I'm a writer. He hung out with all these people. I was in that kind of position. I was hanging out with these people. I was going to their parties. You know, with Ali, if he was taking a bath, I'd, you know, I could go upstairs and just, I, I didn't have to knock. But, you how know? Do you, but how do you get to a point where, it, you know, I, I have to imagine there would have been some, you know, crisis of, of identity 
Uh, around- yeah, that's a novel I wanted to write about a guy who loses his own identity because he he folds into all the others. You got to be a chameleon to be a, an interviewer. No, you but- you got to be a chameleon, but also like especially with with the the incredible neediness of of some of these talents that you dealt with mm. is that you know it's very hard to fight the urge of becoming you know a lackey. Yeah, in, in, that's in, a good in, yes, and and I don't think I ever was, and that's why I've had fights with a lot of them. I mean, I've had fights with those a number are fights of these people. for your own. That's those are for fights my, for your autonomy. Yeah. Well, it's the idea of respect. You know, there's a you know, I mean, you know, look, I, I go see Bobby Knight, and and he, you know, he, he kind of, he's late at his house. This is after, you know, this is a big big interview, Bob Knight, because this is after he's uh, got thrown out of the university and everything, uh-huh. and he's gone. And I'm surprised he's even talking to me. Yeah, and I go to see him. You know, and he's he's out hunting, and I'm sitting there with his wife in his house, and I'm waiting, you know, for hours. And he finally comes in, and he's and he's not nice, you know, and he right. just goes, "Let's he says, want to get something to eat?" I said, "Okay." So we go to get something to eat. He orders, his wife orders, I order in a cheap little Mexican restaurant. Yeah. He gets his food, he eats it, doesn't wait. She gets her food, she's polite, she starts to wait. I said, "No, go ahead." My food came late. Knight wants to leave. You know what I mean? It's like, what, what, what kind of treatment is this? What kind of bullshit is this? I've done this with Robert Mitchum where you walk in and he does he, he eats a sandwich, he eats his drink, he doesn't offer you anything. You know, you they treat you sometimes like uh, you're an encyclopedia salesman. Well, but, but also, how do you avoid, you know, I mean, you that's must- That's the challenge, though. The I know. challenge is to get them from there to respect me and then to see how well prepared I am, and then I'm in charge. Right, <laughs> respect you, or or at least use you as a vessel, yeah. or at least have a comfort level to where you know they, it, it becomes an easy symbiotic thing. You try with so, night, it never came easy. He hit me. He tr- tried to throw me out of the car twice. I mean, I, I mean, I had a lot of problems. But with but night. how also do you get past the fact? I mean, obviously, if you're spending nine months with Barbara Streisand, and you're going to Marlon Brando's island, and you're spending a hundred hours with John Houston, you know these are well, Brando made well Streisand too, but the, you know to and co- Houston, yeah. <laughs> One of the most interesting men in the world. Well, yeah, but like I could see that. Yeah. I could see spending a yeah. hundred hours with yeah. John Houston, but you know, if you were you, you know interested, right? But but there there comes an issue when when you're an interviewer and that's your career is that you know you've also got to fight the uh, the calculations of being used. You know, to, you, you know, and, and uh, but you're aware of that you're aware of that going in immediately. You know, of course, of course, you're. Aware. I mean, the point is, I try to. What I try to do is get beyond all of that. Get beyond being used. Get be. You know, get them to talk about things they've never talked about before. No, I get that. And eventually, it happens. But you need time. The only way this works is if you need time. You know, I mean, you and I can. I think can cut through a lot of bullshit and talk very seriously because I think that's we both appreciate that but do you think but, you still need time now you, you know it's like everything no, moves I, so I don't quickly. need no no but you, you can't have, you don't get the time now it's over it, that's over I, but also people are more forthcoming now there's a different language they might be more forthcoming I don't know but I no I don't know if it's that much forthcoming I just think people don't say things because they do it on their own they say they get out what they need to get out through the internet, through their own websites, through these podcasts, through you know doing an hour here, half hour there, getting on TV. The long interview that I did, I don't see that happening. It'll happen in books. You know, if you get someone to really talk and wants to do a book, you'll be doing long interviews. But the long playbook, even the playbook interview is only four or five thousand words at the most, and it used to be thirty thousand. So words. then, how does that explain your compulsion to spend months with people? It doesn't happen anymore. Th- that's gone. I mean, you're, we're talking about a part of my life where I did that, yeah. and it was fun. And I always said to myself, I always, no matter how much money I ever made, no matter how successful I might be in other forms, I always would like to do two Playboy interviews a year because I liked doing it. It gave me permission to enter a life that, that I can never get anywhere else. So tell and, me about uh, this time you spent with Brando. Ultimately, what you know, like in any interview, like I don't really know what I'm going to get, right. and I, you know, and, I, and my agenda is not to get necessarily something. 
no one else has gotten or, or to get them to say something no one else has heard or they may not have said. Right. But my goal, because it's audio, is to at least engage in authentic conversation. And, right. and I think that resonates. So like the, the, the emotional impact of what I do is different than like, I can't look at what the, look at what the, look at this article, you know, Brando mm. said this. Right. Because you can feel what we're doing. Right. So it's different. It's different. So uh, when, when after all is said and done, when you have this life, I mean, what was that? Is was it, what is this, as simple as that? You know, you spend all this time with Marlon Brando on this island. You're telling me all you wanted him to do was say something that hadn't been said before, or was there something you were looking for? Something you must have been looking for something. I'm, well, I'm I'm looking for uh, insight into the man. That all every interview I do is what I'm looking what for is to sh- is to show. Is to show you what's beyond the, the I get superficial. That. Like, so, okay, so that's get what that. that's what I do. But 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 emotionally, and 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 I I know that's what you do, and and you, you wait it out, and you wait it out, and you and you keep talking, you keep talking. And obviously, you know, even in an hour, eventually people's guards drop. You right. know, in, in this situation, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. But 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 ultimately, you must have been on some journey. You know, as a guy that you know, wanted to be a novelist, wanted to be an artist. You know, you had to justify this this undertaking that you were involved with as art. Which which it is, and I, I I like the biography framing of it. I think that makes sense. Right. But what sort of truths, you know, did you ultimately? I mean, when you you know, you got Robert De Niro, George C. Scott, Henry Fonda, Jerry Lewis, Steve Martin, Robin Williams. Obviously, you're spending more time with some of these people than others. And you know, you've got this amazing list of writers. I can't even go through all the names. Some of these are probably shorter than others. But it seems to me that you know, John Huston, Truman Capote, Marlon Brando, and Al Pacino were the guys that you know you did a lifetime's work with. Mm-hmm. Yes. So after interviewing all these people, you know, what do you find is the common thread uh, once you get through all of that, all the bullshit? What do you find mm. out about humanity? If you're an artist, you know, what are your conclusions? That's a, <laughs> that's a very tough question, Mark, to answer. What, you know, I mean, basically summing up, I guess the, my answer would be, I've written books about all the people you just mentioned. I've got a book out on, two books on, I've got three books on Pacino. One is called I Want You in My Movies because I was on his movie for Wild Sally. Yeah. I did a thing on it. And it's an e-book. I did another book uh, that's out uh, that he did an introduction to, which is a collection of all the interviews I did with him. And it's interesting to see the progression there of, of a of a interview that turns into a friendship, basically. That's what that is. Um, and then I did a book called, well, I'm, I'm saying it for the first time here, but I, I wrote a novel called Begin Again, fin- uh, Finnegan. Yeah. And I took as the premise a relationship I have with someone like that as a novel. And I said, what if, I t- what if, a, what if a major star killed the woman, the, the mother of his children, accidentally or not accidentally? What if he just did something wrong? What would he do if he wants to get an alibi? And I said, well, the best person to talk to do would be a person like me, a person he became friends with who was an interviewer. And he could, because so you could do an interview at any time of the day or night. So what if he calls him, the star, and he calls him up, it's midnight, one, or one in the morning, and he says, I, I, I want to see you. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll be over in a half hour. Let me get dressed. No, no, I'll come to you. Why is he coming to him? He doesn't know. That's the premise. That's the opening. And then he comes and says, I did, I killed her. Okay. So this was a fear you had. It's a it's a scenario that has played through my mind. I played through a lot of scenarios. I'm a, you know, I, I fiction no, it's a fiction. I always say sort of these things. But I but I wrote a novel based on this. It was you know it was really interesting and it it, it explored me and my thoughts and whatever. Anyway, there it is. Now, with, but that, with, but, but the premise of that novel about you right. is is about you know being used 
Yeah, yeah. Not just, yes, yes, exactly. Exactly being used. Being this guy's alibi. And every fucking thing that goes wrong goes wrong to the guy, not to him. He's the star. He's O.J. Simpson. He's going to get off. But this poor schnook who's done all this stuff, he's going to have and a big problem. And this town is filled with those poor schnooks. Yeah. And that's, the studios used to have I'm those I'm one of those schnooks, man. <laughs> that's so, the bottom line. I'm a one of those schnooks. But I used my schnookiness to make a living out of it. And for a while, I've made a fairly good living. You know, I mean, if you can get paid six figures to write for magazines, that's amazing. So you spend all this time with, with Brando at, at a very odd time in his life. You know, he had he, just done Apocalypse Now, but I hadn't seen it yet. It yeah. hadn't come out yet. So, so you spent how Superman. long with him? I was on his island for 10 days. And then he, then he came to my house afterwards. Now, know? what did you come away with, you know, in, in terms of, you know, who he was as a man? I liked him very much. I thought he was a. I I I, I saw him in, in a certain way as a hero. Look, I read his book, which is a terrible. I mean, he he was sleeping with every you know friends' wives and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, he wasn't a good guy in a lot of. He wasn't good to his children. His son called me up, uh, Christian. Uh, once he wanted to write a book about his father because his father was so bad to him, and uh, and I, I I had a lot of conversation with Christian. Then Christian died at forty nine of pneumonia. Um, so I, I knew there were problems with, with, with a lot of what he did, you know, but I found him totally, totally interesting. I mean, he was, we would go on his island, we would take long walks, we would go out on the pier. He would always have something like, how, if you had a straw here, how, how deep do you think you could go, you could take the straw, how many feet before you couldn't suck up anything? And he knew these answers. Now, he's, he's 35 feet, he would say, or a fly would be out in the boat with us, you know, and he'd say, to, and he had, Cheyenne was there, you know, the, the girl who ended up killing herself. But she was eight at the time, and Tehutu was sixteen. And we'd be out on this boat, and he'd say, "How fast do you think we're going?" You know, or "How fast do you think flies can fly?" And he says, "Well, they can only go about fifteen miles an hour because that's what we're doing now." And he would p- catch the flies, pop them in his mouth, look at the kid, open his mouth, you know, and that would come to fly or something. Um, but he had a, a a a thing that for your for your strength, he says, "Larry, let me see how strong you are." And he would give me this thing, you know, and I and I would push and push and the red button would go you know like a thermometer would go up to a certain point and then he'd give it to Tehutu who's his son right and Tehutu would for all the way to the top you know and he, and he was a games player he liked to play chess you know so I played chess and I wasn't that good so he so he could beat me so then he would take a cardboard thing and put it between the pieces and he'd say okay you arrange your pieces your way I'll arrange mine this way and we'll play like that you know mm-hmm. so we did that kind of stuff he, he was a practical joker you know one time uh I go to get dinner. Now, I'm the only person on the island besides his secretary, Caroline, and her mm-hmm. kid, and Marlon, and, you know, and uh, the, the, the workers. So, uh, I, the lunch, the gong goes off, you know, and I go there, and I say, uh, and I'm waiting 15 minutes, nobody yeah. shows up. Marlon comes and uh, w- with her, uh, with Caroline, and he says, what are you doing here, Larry? I said, the gong went off, you know, it's a hollow out log. So, he says, oh, yeah, it's a, for lunch. So, he turns to Caroline and says, up you go. He had made a bet with her. They, he said the gong went off. She said it didn't. Then the bet was that the loser had to stand in front of me on a table and pat their stomach and pat their head, and rub their stomach, and sing somewhere over the rainbow to me. Mm-hmm. So she had to do it. I would have loved her to lose. If I would have known that bet, I would have said the other way. You know, moral into it. But 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 he knew a sure thing. You know, he had heard it. So anyway, so she gets up and she just does somewhere over the rainbow and she does the first verse and gets down. And it's kind of it's funny for a second, but then it got a little embarrassing. And then Marlon says, "No, you didn't finish the song." He made it go back up and do it. You know, so the the, the cruelty, cruelty was but it, there. But it's interesting know? that you know, like you know, in the face of all these, you know, having dealt with some you know Hollywood personalities at different points in my life and being vulnerable and, and being sucked in by 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 the charisma of certain people, uh, because some people are, are are almost mythic. 
that it's it sounds to me that you know you know what must have driven you at some point was some sort of selfish need to know that you know you stood outside these people I, that and the challenge to do something better than anyone has ever done before. That was always a challenge for me. But you I, must I, have yeah. had some spite for some of these people. No, I don't. No, that's, I wouldn't use the word spite at all. Only, only Robert Mitchum did I dislike, and that was because he was an anti-Semite. But, you know, other than that, I, I walked out on Mitchum. But, but, but there was never that, a part of you that, that thought, like, you know, like, all right, so this is the big deal? No, you know, I feel like, sure. Uh, Charlie Sheen. I went to his house once, right? And, yeah. and, I'm, and I pull into the, it's a Malibu colony, and I pull in with my little, little I had a Fiat, you know. Little yeah. Thing. And there's this beautiful black uh, Mercedes and another one over there. You know, and I'm looking, I say, what has he got to deserve this? I'm driving this car. He's driving, you you know, didn't like ask that question a lot? Just Charlie Probably. Sheen? <laughs> well, no, but, but, you know. You start to see this, and you start wondering. Freddie Prinz, I'm up, I'm, uh, I'm upstairs in his bedroom, and I'm looking at the bookshelves. We're talking in his bedroom, and there's nothing on the book. There's no books. I said, I said, Freddie, where's your books? He says, I don't read books. I said, really? I said, I collect first editions. You don't read books? He says, what's the first edition? Yeah. Blew my mind. But so now I'm thinking, how do I reach this guy? How do I get to him? So I said, what do you collect? Is it, uh, comic books and um, animation, you know, from the 50s or something, yeah. you know. Okay, let's talk about that, you know, and we'll, so we'll go there, you know. You look yeah, for some sure, kind of common sure. no, ground. I, I get it. It's but, just, it's but, just, it's, it's, but some people are vapid. Some people, you know. But everybody, look, I, I, Chris O'Donnell, I interviewed him when he was 25 years old. Before he, you know, he does send a scent of a woman, but he's still new. So I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm asking him questions. And he would say, gee, you know, my father could answer that question. That's kind of a philosophical question. I don't think I can answer. And I thought about that. I said, you know, I'm talking to people who aren't fully developed yet. You that know? happens, and, sure. Yeah. But but like f- I you like I don't find that I have spite and what I what I've learned from talking to people is you know the human experience is what it is yeah and you know people process what they're going to process and and usually there's an amazing story of struggle there and and, and I'm always moved by it but it, it, almost always right. you know, even if somebody's difficult uh, but but what, what's interesting you know to me in terms of of how much you've done is that idea of, and I think you're, it sounds like that novel sort of covers it, that, you know, really that, you know, wh- you, you know who's got your back? Yeah. No, you. <laughs> the only person who has your back is your wife and your kids. Nobody else. Nobody else. Not even your friends. I mean, my friends don't read my books, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, they want me to give it to them. They don't want to buy them. You know I mean? This is the reality. If I had a thin skin, I'd never be in this business, you but know? But looking back at somebody like John Houston and knowing, knowing full well, that I mean, that must have been an amazing experience with Truman Capote, with Marlon yeah. Brando, Al Pacino to a certain degree. But Houston, I mean, you know, as time goes on, you know, that's, you know, that might be assigned in film classes. Do you feel like there yeah. was a futility to, to, you know, to this mountain of accomplishment to, you know, and a no. lot of these, and a lot of these people that you interviewed it, like, just like I do, it's like, you got down at a certain time. Right. And, and if they don't, if they don't die, who the hell knows what's going to happen? What right. did you capture? What's the portrait? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, that's what I think I did do. I did capture them for, I mean, look, I wrote a book called The Art of the Interview about all this stuff. How am I doing? It's, it's, you're doing great. But, but the art of the interview is used in, in journalism classes now, you know, But that's I've been told that I'm very know? unorthodox. Well, look. You look for the personal in a lot of what you talk about. And I think, you know, you talk, you ask about your parents, uh, your subject's parents, where they go back to. What, And that's, you know, these days you don't get that on television. You don't get, you know, you don't get people looking for 
uh, the mensch in a person, let's say, or you know, yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever serious problems a person has, the psychology of a person, you know, like Roy Firestone was very good at this too. He did this with sports figures. They were the they're the hardest people in the world to interview sports figures, and he was able to do that. But he's not on the air anymore. He doesn't have a show anymore. Nobody wants that. You know, I don't what know mean? if that's true that nobody wants. They it. They tell him that he's trying. No, I know that, but they tell us all that. Yeah, but but that's but only you because- do your own thing. Right. You're, you know, you've created a niche. All right, well, give me that some pointers that I can make me better. Oh, uh, well, I, I don't have any yet. Yeah, uh, let me ask you these questions, though. If you could choose a career path and you had these three choice figures to compare yourself to, would it be Johnny Carson, Mark Twain, or Woody Allen? Mark Twain. Good for you. That's what I would have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's very telling, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like, where do you want to go? If you, you know, you could be a, a talk I wish I had the, 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 the discipline as a satirist that he had. And, yeah. uh, and he's ultimately a writer, but he became an, an orator and, and, you know, was somebody who, who enjoyed speaking to crowds yeah. and, and, and doing a stand-up routine, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's an incredibly sophisticated thinker. I think that if I have any fault now, it's that I've, I've really sort of rationalized my need to to stay specifically with an existential um, predicaments, uh, either you know, as opposed to sort of you know you know cast my eye on on broader issues of, mm. of political or cultural nature. Yeah, you know, John Yusin once said to me, he, he was telling me about says if you think you think these people are cynical or whatever, he says Mark Twain wrote a book. I think it's called The Mysterious Stranger. Yeah, like, yeah, and he said. And he said, and as we talk about, it, he says, "Larry, let's go get that book. I feel like reading it again." <laughs> we went to his store and got it. I loved him. You know? <laughs> he says, "This is where you just want to, you know." But that was, but that was a different time where, you know, you know, talents like John Houston, these guys who they were boxers, they yeah. fought in the war. The weird thing about the culture we live in is that when you were doing most of your writing. You know, there were three networks. There was like four or five studios. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was on the same page. Playboy had a tremendous amount of cachet, you know, on, on a right. literary level. And everybody was there. You know, that the people that were interested, the things that they were interested in, there was a common ground there. And there was a lot more. Yeah. You know, well, they Because like, I remember Barbara said, the, the reason, I said, how come you're doing Playboy? She says, well, Playboy is the Bible. Right. You know, I mean, that was the way they looked at that. But it's the a very, interview, it's not a very, the, it's very interesting time now where you. Where there's you, no Bible. <laughs> there's no Bible, but also yeah. this idea that, you know, people don't want long form stuff or in-depth things right. is that you know they've successfully le- you know leveled the adult attention span to something right. you know uh, uh, akin to a child and and that's the way that they're going to feed it because the hunger for content is so extreme right. I, you know i get on stage and people are like well i already heard that story i'm like you didn't hear it here you didn't hear right. it on stage i've told it two times in my life right. and already you want me to move on <laughs> i'm not a machine i mean so the the real the credibility of 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 authentic life experience or sharing on a human level has been diminished by this craving almost uh, an addictive like craving for for new content right you know you were gonna you know there were there was a time where people had lives mm-hmm and they they did amazing, uh, very prolific people that you know that you know, that fought in wars that 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 did things in right. a dramatic way that aggressively you know like you said you know and you know, whatever inspired you to join the Peace Corps you know mm-hmm. to to get some life experience right. I mean that had some credibility no one gives a fuck anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just it, it doesn't add up to much for for people today. Mm-hmm. That the, you know that life experience and and wisdom gleaned from from you, you know you know really living it 
It doesn't have the premium it used to. It doesn't, but thank goodness there's still a Peace Corps out there. There's still people who are doing it. You know, no, what no, I, mean? no, I, wasn't, but, but, I wasn't condescending but it, but it, the Peace Corps. I was just saying no, that but, you're... It, but it's true. I mean, you know, the the when I first started teaching at UCLA it was 2001, and for five years I I took told them about the life of a freelancer. This is the way to go. If you can be a freelancer, right? You, you not just a writer, freelance anything you do. You have your own hours. You're your own person. It's a great life. Yeah. The last few years, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't talk about because I, I saw you, you just everything was drying up. You just well, you, you know, got to you know, know great writers yeah. because it, well, the, it's drying up uh, alongside of the the printed industry. Yeah, that's right. The whole book industry is a and he, uh, that's why I'm a dinosaur because I'm still writing books. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like oh. <laughs> well, listen. I know you have a two o'clock, so I, we went over that. So, yeah, um, I appreciate. It. But I, you know, I have more questions too. Well, let's, you, but, uh, let's, but, you know, let's continue you know, this because I do know. that. So let's yeah. let's you know let's pick up where we left off and and think about stuff. Okay, thanks, Mark. Okay, that was part one, and then we I stewed on it for a month before I did part two to do to do it his style. So let's see if we get the full picture, or let's see what happens. Well, see, here's the interesting thing about, you know, what we chose to do here, which is I, I am sort of honoring your style of interview. Yeah. <laughs> that was my idea. Is that, like, I sat and talked to you last time, and you told me that you would spend months with people. And, and in my brain, I was like, what could you... I mean, how is that <laughs> going to... You know, what... Like, there's a couple of questions I have about that. Is that I'm a guy that does an interview in an hour. So what I have is I have the, the gift of audio. Is that, right. you know, you can sense emotion. You can sense, uh, uh, you know, where someone's at. You can hear their struggles. You can hear their tone of voice. So so the portrait I'm creating is very specific to audio in a lot of ways because it's emotionally loaded. Right. And you can't do that really in, in print without, you, you know, without elaborating. So in the sense that unless you're going to every other line, you're going to say he said with weighted, you know, breath. or And it's still right. not going right. to be the same. Right. So the impact that I can have with an audio podcast in terms of, you know, wh who people are is, is easier. It is easier. Absolutely. I mean, look, a really good interview and you look at some of the best are because their writers were really good. Truman Capote really captured Marlon Brando in the way when in the Duke and his domain. Mm -hmm. Brando wouldn't talk to anybody for 25 years yeah. until I saw him. Right. That's a really good piece of writing. You right. Know, I mean, if you look at that, so it's hard. That's why the majority of interviews are dry. Right. They're not that interesting. Right. There are a handful that are really good because the writer has somehow figured out a way to bring you, the reader, into it. So you get to feel the personality, get to feel the joke if it's a joke, okay. or the, the sarcasm if it's sarcasm. Easier on radio because... If I say a joke and I laugh, ha ha, okay, you know, we know what that is. But we, sometimes someone says something and it doesn't come off funny in print. And, and also there's the, the issue of rel relevance. Yeah. Is that you know like you, you well, know like if I look at the list of interviews here, uh, yeah, you know, dead. <laughs> well, it's not even. But see, that's not necessarily an issue. But you know, we yeah. live in a time where there really you know context and history is is sort of been obliterated, and and certainly you know how much people are going to go you know dig up print interviews. You know, again, I'm looking at sort of this list and I'm trying to sort of frame this. And I know this was your job, and you're very good at it. And you know, all of these interviews that you've done with all these people are available, whether people go to them or not, I don't know. 
<laughs> really. Uh, and and I think that the books, in terms of the history of film and the in the history of creativity, you know, these are important books, or they would have been uh, the books you you mm. spent your life writing. Uh, you know about the Houston's. It, yeah. it, they're huge. I mean, the, you know, there, there's a resource there. You know, obviously, it's it's limited to to you know students of film and fans of that era in a way. So it's hard to figure out. Well, listen, Mark, I do not write for an audience in my mind. No, I know, but I'm talking you know, about so who, who is the audience? Who is the audience? I get that asked a lot. A lot of times when, you know, I've just finished two novels and I get a, then the question becomes, who's the audience? Before anybody even reads them, right? who's the audience? Is it? That's an American publisher. Yeah. That, right. I mean, or, that's who asked that question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But but my to me it's like I'm just writing stories. I'm just you know I guess I'm, my audience is me. It would be people like me, people who went to college. I don't know. I don't. I I, I just feel that my job is to put you know put it out the way I can. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm not uh, an actor. You know. So so you know I I don't have great talent. I I, I grew up. I watched Arthur Singer, who's the most important bird artist in America at the time. Yeah. And he died. Uh, but he and Roger Tory Peterson were the two. And. Um, I grew up watching this guy draw his birds and being home smoking a pipe and just drawing. I saw my father driving into, you know, work and driving back at seven o'clock tired and I said, Hmm, do I want to do that or do I want to do this? I want this. Yeah. But I don't have the talent to draw. You know, and I didn't have the you know, the the musical ability. I tried playing the piano for a while, you know, I just didn't have it. So I found I could write, you know, I mean, I could write stuff. And at 15 years old, I was writing stuff that was getting published. So, okay, there was my end to the creative freelance world. And that's the path I chose. And thank God, I have made it all my life fairly successfully as a freelance writer. Right. You can't do it anymore. But the interesting thing is, is that now, right. you know, you've got this novel published in, in Poland, Poland, which we'll talk about. <laughs> But see, so that was the original idea. Yeah. So you're going to be a writer, right. and you are a writer. But now you spent your entire career talking to geniuses, yeah. many of them geniuses. Right. So you were, you, you know, you sort of, you have the same thing I have. You have the capacity to sort of connect symbiotically with, with a creative person, you know, build their trust, right. you know, however long it took you. I, I think I can do it quicker. If we well, were going to have a contest. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, some of these people you talk to, must have had an impact. Now, obviously, you know, you're a fanboy like I am. And, you know, when you, you say you know, Brando was our greatest actor, I mean, that's probably true. But most people uh, don't have real uh, context for Brando mm -hmm. anymore. That's true. And that's true. Uh, even when he died, which is really sad. Yeah. He didn't get the respect when he died. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that happens to. It, yeah. It's not even that time passes them by. Sometimes uh, what they become later in life. Mm -hmm. uh, it sort of starts to eat away well, listen, at the I, myth of who they were. Because I, I, I interviewed Lauren Bacall, and I did James Garner, and I did Robin. You know, so the three people who recently died, yeah. you know, I said, gee, I was with all of them, you know. But Robin really caught the imagination of the world in a way that... He was know, always you know, there. Did, you know? I mean, it's like weird that, you know, his energy, like, I mean, that's a career thing. Yeah. I mean, Robin almost didn't age. And I think, you mm -hmm. know, recently he has, and obviously his career was in a different place when, when he decided to take his own life. But, but the truth the matter is the energy of Robin Williams mm. was almost uh, primal in a way. It was, mm. it was like archetypical. It mm. was, you know, it was sort of always this thing. This, yeah. uh, there was a there was a vibration that he operated at no matter what. But like you know, you talk to somebody like Miles Davis, and you talk to somebody like. Um, 
uh, well, you know, Steve Martin, whoever, all these great people, but like someone like Miles Davis. Mm. I mean, you guys couldn't be more different. Yeah. And you couldn't come from a different world. And he was this cryptic wizard and, (laughs) and, you know, fairly opinionated and kind of wrong minded in some ways, but, but, you know, about women and whatnot. But I've dealt with that. Mm -hmm. And and, and ultimately, you just have to not argue with them (laughs) and then let them unfold. And and that's yeah. the honesty of it. But when you talk to these geniuses, as somebody who secretly is harboring this desire yeah. to write mm. a novel, mm. what what are you thinking? What did you learn from them? What I was thinking with with Miles is, damn, I made one huge mistake by not asking him to write his biography, his autobiography. <laughs> Sorry, I, mean, I wanted to write him more. I wanted to spend more time with him. That's I mean, he was amazing. Yeah. The guy was amazing. He sat there for three hours. I have it all on video. We did it for cable TV. Uh-huh. He spent the whole time, he had the, all these, uh, he was drawing, you know, he had all these colored pencils and stuff like this and he would be drawing and stuff and never would look up and, and I'd ask him stuff and the cameras were on him and He's talking about race, and he's talking about feeling uncomfortable among whites, and he's talking about strangling a white yeah. man, all that shit, you know. And it was great, yeah. and 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 he, you know, and he was kind of me, made me laugh, even though he was saying things like, "I don't want to go to a movie because I see some white girl have fun in a movie," or what? And he says, <laughs> yeah, uh, "You yeah. know, I want to, you know," and he says, "My wife, you know, can't get a job, you know," and he's talking about Cicely Tyson. Tyson yeah. So, I just found. Perhaps one of the, I mean, he is the Brando of the music right. world. I mean, but you know, Miles Davis was really important, like Pavarotti was. I mean, yeah. I, I've had a great life in talking to these people. Yeah. You keep wondering, what the fuck am I doing talking to these people? Or why do, no, what do no, I no. get out of it? I, I get know, I know a lot you, out of it. Yeah, of course. If I didn't get a lot of it, I wouldn't be doing it. Of course. And I miss, I miss doing, I haven't done the Playboy interview in a few years because the editor doesn't like me anymore. That's a, same guy, new guy. Same guy. And it's a terrible situation. They, but, they, my Playboy interview, they fucking, they got a fact wrong. Yeah. Well, I could see that, you know. Their, their interviews haven't been that good lately. I mean, it used but to But how do you just make up facts? What happened to fact checking? They, <laughs> good question. Good question. It used to be something you could rely on. Nowadays, especially book publishing, they don't fact check. I mean, I have books coming out and I, I, I see stuff, m- mistakes. Oliver Stone called me up and said, you got my academy wrong, wrong. You know, who I right. got, which I got for. I said, oh God, I'm so sorry, Oliver. But what the hell? Is it? That's a fact checking thing that should have been done. That's right. But I can't rely on that was there some through line to to the creative spirit or to people that that captured the public imagination that you were able to identify well i tried to you know i don't think that way uh so i don't know i'd have but to really had time to reflect Larry. yes well but th- <laughs> but that's what but but yes the through look i put a book out called icons okay. i took 15 of the people that right. i think are that we can legitimately legitimately call icons maybe not Mer- uh uh what's her name Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow, right. I think she's an icon. But I put her in the book because I wrote about it, and I just. Yeah. But Meryl Streep's in there. Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, uh, Tom Waits. Uh-huh. You know. You interview Tom? No. I can't get him either. I love him. I love Tom Waits. So I wrote it. I wrote an article as if. You know, I, I and how did I how to how to figure out how to write that one? That's the only one I've ever written like that where without I didn't, talking, I'm talking to, them. to him. So how did you do it? Well, there's a thing called esoteric tours in L.A. And I saw the, that one day I saw something in one of the like L.A. Weekly. It said that they're going to do a Tom Waits tour, you know, of, of where Tom grew up and what he did in L.A. So I got in touch with them. I said, listen, I'm going to, you know, I'm interested in writing a piece on, on something. And they said, oh, yeah, come on to that. So I got on the bus and I go on this tour. Okay. 
that gave me my idea to write the article. So what, you go to Cantor's? Yeah, basically, you go past Cantor's, you go to, you go to uh, uh, on Hollywood and Las Palmas, there's a place, there's a, you know. So this is a tour based on Tom Waits' life. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and the guy who talks about it wrote a book about Tom Waits or something, you uh -huh. know, so he, he, he's on mic and he's talking about uh -huh. stuff. So I said, okay, I can start a thing where I'm going to go do this, and then I can have people on the bus arguing about his stuff, you know, and and and, and so I make up these people, and I give you all my opinions about Tom Way through, through their voices. People. It was just so much fun to write, and they liked it. They put it on the cover, right? And yeah. I, and now I'm putting it out in 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 my book. Called did you hear Icons. from Tom? No, I where can I people get your books? Uh, they got to go to Amazon yeah. and just look under Lawrence Grobel. Lawrence Grobel, right? And that's it. Okay. Yeah. But okay, still, I'm not getting the answer I want from you. I know. You can't get my answer, and I don't know why I can't The answer is that you're a creative guy that has taken this long to sort of manifest you know, what you really wanted to do, because you, you, it wasn't a detour. It was a living, talking to creative people. Right. Did, was there anything you, like, you learned? <laughs> I learned how to live a life. I've learned how to be a person. I learned how to There's communicate no philosophical with people. Gems. No. There's no sort of like one oh, of them. Well, that's different. You're saying, okay, what did what did uh what were the main things I learned from certain people? I have I, I had four mentors, right? I would say. Uh Bernie Wolf was one of them. He was a novelist. He was at UCLA. Um I got to be one on one with him for two or three years. Yeah. So I'd never had to take a class. Um, and I gave him the ending of a novel called Lies at one time. You know, uh -huh. we, used to, we used to meet in his place, and I used to watch him smoke his cigars and, it was, and all that. And, yeah. uh, and we talked about literature. We talked, and he always had people over and uh -huh. stuff. Alex Haley. I remember when, when that book was coming out, there was a lot to talk about that and stuff. With I lent him money while I was a student. Yeah. You know, he never paid me back. <laughs> and then, then I once asked him for the money, and he gave, it was 500 bucks, and he gave me back 200. Uh -huh. and, he, and, he owed me, and then I hired him once. He, he fucked me over. I hired him. I hired <laughs> this him. He's your hero. Yeah. No, no, no. What is your hero? I've learned, man. I, you know, you learn that's with, with certain people uh, who they are, not necessarily who, you know, what you're reading. You that's know? I mean, absolutely I don't know if James, right. I don't know if James Joyce and I would have been close friends. Right. I don't know. But, but you know, he probably is, it was a real bastard. Mm -hmm. But, you know, listen. listen so, okay. So, that's one thing you learned, learned is that, that sometimes, you know, the, the, the public image or the image that you have as somebody who is uh, enamored or taken with them can very easily be diminished. You learn, yes, and it's, it happens all the time. Al Pacino oh, yeah, and I, look, Al Pacino and I are very close for 30 years. We had a falling out, you know, so now, okay, we're, 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 in, a, we're in a distance of each other. And I, I, I realized that he cannot apologize. It's because it's not in the star's gene mm -hmm. to be able to apologize. And I knew this for a long time about pe these people. I learned this about stars. They don't, you know, even when, no matter how wrong they may be. And one time, Anthony Hopkins, who was going to do a, a script of mm -hmm. mine, uh, based on the conversation with Brando book, and he was going, he was excited about doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, then, and and we even met, and and his agent at the time uh, at CAA, uh, we all got. He was going to be my agent. Everything was really going nicely, and all of a sudden, I get a call from the agent, Rick Nasita, saying. Uh, Tony's going to back out of it. He doesn't want to do it. I said, why? He says, he's afraid. He's afraid to play Marlon. I didn't believe it. I said, this guy has played Picasso. He's played Hitler. He's played, you know, he's played some of the presidents. I mean, Nixon, he's, yeah. you know, Hopkins is an amazing actor. He was afraid. So I said, oh, I don't think that's probably the reason, but okay. You know, and I yeah. felt bad. I never showed it to anybody. Pacino said to me, he'll come back. Don't, don't show it to anybody. He'll come back. 
So I, I didn't do anything. Uh, he goes off and does the Wolfman Hopkins, and he mm. comes back, and then one day I'm home and I get a phone call. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. I said, oh, hi, Tony, how are you? And he goes, Larry, he says, listen, I did a terrible thing to you, a terrible thing. I'm really, I'm just so sorry, I said, you know, that I didn't call and I didn't tell you why. I didn't want to do the Brando thing. I just held you up and I led you on. And I'm thinking, cause my... This is impossible, right? It's impossible. Anthony Hopkins cannot be apologized, right? Right, because yeah. it's against everything I have learned, you yeah. know, with the stars. And then I'm thinking, he's interested in the script, yeah. but he doesn't want to say it because it's been up over a year. So you know, he's, he's, he's so I said, you know, Anthony, I haven't shown it to anybody since. Yeah. Oh, real? No, no, I wasn't calling about that. I wasn't calling you about that at all. Okay, I said, okay. I said, but you know, let what? Let me give you my cell number, and why don't we uh, have lunch? You know, let's get together. I said, terrific. Yeah. So. He gives me the number, and I wait a little while, and I called him, and, and we meet. We meet yeah. for lunch. And it's all about Brando. <laughs> it's all about the script and all. Okay, that's, you know, a story you learn about, you know, apologies in a sense. So I find that a sincere apology doesn't exist among stars. You know, that's that's one, <laughs> one of the things I'm sorry to say, but, you know, it's it's a rare thing. But also, yeah. it's also, it doesn't that also put into question that sometimes, no matter how much time you spend with these people, or no matter how much they reveal to you, does not necessarily that you have an emotional relationship with Exactly, and I think I do, and I and I so right. often don't. That's right. I'm fooled over and over again. That's right. Goldie Hawn, Goldie Hawn, and I and Kurt Russell, because of Goldie, were very close. Shared dinners. We went to uh, dinner at her house. She yeah. would come to our house and and everything. Yeah. And then what happened was, God, I'm telling you stories. Yeah. Uh, that I don't know if I should be talking out loud. I guess, but right. But, um, uh, Entertainment Weekly asked me to do a cover story on Kurt Russell, and I did. And, uh, you know, and, and Kurt and I had a great time. We went out and flew in his plane. And, and at one point he gave me the controls. He says, you fly. I'm going, I can't do this. You know, yeah, but yeah. He, and he's laughing, you know. Yeah. So we had a good relationship. And it's, it's going to be a positive article about him, whatever. So I write the article and I give it to Entertainment Weekly. Now, Entertainment Weekly is part of Time magazine, mm-hmm. which means that they go through editors. One, two, three, four, five editors sign off. An editor who just signs off without putting his two cents in isn't making money and isn't doing his job. His job is he's got to find something. So you got five editors finding things throughout this story. And it comes back, and then they send me the galleys. And I looked at the story, and I said, this is not what I wrote. I said, it's another story. I don't want it. You know, I said, go back to what I wrote. Show me why what I wrote is no good. So they go back, okay, and we change things back and forth. But this is, you know, timely because something's gone. Okay, so now... I didn't see the second galley after that. The the article comes out. And it's a decent article, but it it cut out a lot of nice little things between us. But on the second paragraph, it said that uh, Kurt Russell, who's looking to become an A, is a B actor looking to become an A actor, something like that. Terrible line. I didn't write that. I didn't write that whole paragraph. Okay. And I I didn't, I felt, oh, well, Kurt's going to call me up and bore me out, and I'll just Mm, have to tell him I didn't do it. Well, instead, what happened was, we lost contact. I never heard from them. And then it was our time to have dinner. I, I called her, you know, left a message, didn't call back. I called again, didn't call back. So I said, well, something's happened. My wife says, we had stayed at their um, uh, Malibu house once with oh, my so kids. So you're real and close. Yeah. yeah. So, but but I, I forgot the the password to get in. So I had to, I mean, the the people came and yeah. I said, and I think it was with, it was some kind of animal. So yeah. I, I got close enough that yeah. they said, okay. So... 
my wife was saying, maybe you just screwed up their alarm system so they're mad at you. I said, no, no, that doesn't make any sense because yeah. we got it. You know, so um, I said, maybe it was the article, but nah, it's too petty. It's only that one paragraph, right? So I, I don't hear anything. Then a couple, uh, half a year go by maybe, Al Pacino, who did not know Goldie or Kurt, ran into them at uh, the Oscars or the Emmys or whatever it was, and he's just talking to them. And he came back, and he, he and I were having lunch. He says, oh, I saw a good friend of yours. He says, at the thing. And I said, well, I says, you know, yeah, I said, Goldie and Kurt. I said, well, they're not really friends anymore. I said, what's the matter? What happened? I said, I don't know. I said, for some reason, they're not called getting back to me, so yeah. I, something went wrong. But yeah. I, so, And it was Al who said, I want you to write. He said, you can never leave something like this unexplained. That's the, you have to come to a conclusion. If you did something wrong, find out about it. If you didn't, like, you know, whatever. So I want you to write her one more time for me. I said, I'm not doing it. He says, no, write and say in the opening line, Al told me to write this or else I wouldn't be writing. Whatever. So that's what I did. I wrote one more time. To Goldie. To Goldie. And Goldie writes me back and she says, I have to tell you, she says that the person, she's I thought that we had such a good relationship with with my wife, my yeah, kids, the yeah. whole thing. And, uh, just, and then, and then I saw that, you know, the article that you wrote, and the person that you were writing about, Kurt, was not the person I was living with or the person I knew. So if you could be get him, be so off on that, then I didn't know what to say. So you know, we just dropped back. And I said, Goldie, I wrote back to her. I said, Goldie, this is like a Guy de Maupassant story because it's like the necklace you mm-hmm. know I said I gave her I sent the 17 page article that I had written in manuscript mm-hmm. I sent it to her she, and I said I, I want you to read the article and I also c- made a copy of the the, the, the piece the piece because I figured she probably right. wouldn't have it I said look at the two of them okay so I do and, she, and, and the piece was really very favorable about him yeah. so anyway she writes me back another note and she says I'm down on my knees in apology I am so sorry she says, what you wrote is so beautiful, and what, why don't you come for dinner, and you know, whatever. So I said to my wife, do you want to go? She said, yeah, I'll go. So we go. And, um, you know, at that time, Kate wasn't acting yet. Yeah. You know, she was so small. Yeah. You know, she didn't you know, sit around the table. So we go, and Kurt says, well, I guess we, uh, you know, he brings it up. And I said, Kurt, let's have dinner first. Let's yeah. have a nice dinner first. Because I got a lot of things I want to talk about, too, because about it's a nature of friendship. It's a yeah. na- To me, what it was was I thought we were friends. Yeah. If I annoy, if I did something that upset you, yeah. why don't you call me on it? That's what a friend would do. Why did you write that? And I would yeah. say, I didn't do it. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I had no control over that. So we had a very nice evening. We, did, we had that whole talk and everything. Yeah. But what really happened is we don't get together anymore. Yeah. Once it happens, it happens. You know what I mean? There's a cut. I, so I ran into her uh, somewhere else uh, in front of CEA once, and we just hugged and kissed, and everything was terrific, but we haven't seen them. I'd like to, you know, but I, I haven't gone out of my way either, you know? Well, sometimes, you know, life because gets you, in the way. You know, go, here's a really interesting one. Yeah. Dolly Parton. Right. Dolly and I got along famously. We right. did a great, you know, they came out in Playboy in the 78 or so, what, 79? One day... Um, Playboy uh, thought they could get to Charlie Manson, and they they called me up. And they said, "Larry, um, would you? I want. We want you to consider this. We don't want to answer yet, but I want you to consider doing Charlie Manson." I said immediately, "Why? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do it?" He says, "Well, you know, you live up in the hills where that happened. Um, you just had a baby, 
and there are still some crazies out there in the members of the family and it might you know so it might be something you want to discuss with your wife about yeah. doing for us and I thought that's interesting because I never would have thought of that I right. wanted to do EDM in once and nobody would let me because <laughs> yeah. they thought they, that he would kill me so um, so there I am thinking about it and I call all the guys I knew said you got to do it you got to do it yeah, of course. Larry Schiller who had got involved with Squeaky From once or something said, said uh he says, yeah. He says, you, 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 I said, anything happened with you when you were involved? He says, yeah, they blew up my mailbox. I said, Larry, they blew up your mailbox? He said, what, didn't do the house? Yeah. <laughs> this is where he's coming from, right? So I'm thinking, okay, every woman I knew said, don't do it, right? Yeah. Stay away from the edge. Okay. So on it's a Saturday night. I'm thinking about doing it. You know, this is where my head's at. I'm yeah. going to call on Monday. Phone rings. Out of the complete blue, because I don't have this kind of relationship right. with her, but it's Dolly Parton. Right. Hey, guy, how you doing? I was just thinking about you. She goes, you know, I said, you know, what you been up to? I said, Dolly, it's funny that you called now. I said, I'm making a decision. And what's you thinking about? And I said, well, you know, they asked me to do Charlie Manson. What? She says, hold on, stop this thing. Have you, if you see him, if you talk to him, if you have anything to do with him, I will never talk to you again. That has nothing to do with your decision, she says. I just want to tell you, be upfront about it. That man has got bad energy, very evil. You're very sensitive. He's gonna, his evil will get onto you. I don't want that to get to me. I have nothing to do with you again. So I said, She's right. God, Dolly, I think you just made up my mind for me. <laughs> So I said, I, I said, I didn't do it, you know, and, 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 but what happened? I didn't see Dolly for three or four years. And then I got an assignment from like McCall's or something to do Dolly. And I said, great. Cause I, so I meet her in a French restaurant and, and we and you know, she hugs me. It's like, we're old friends. I said, Dolly, I said, why, why haven't I talked to you in the last four years? She said, and she looked at me. I said, it's Manson, isn't it? She said, yes. She says, just that you considered it put me off put me off about you because you just even considered I said but I'm a writer this is an assignment I said I would do Hitler I would do you know Mussolini if I, if I had a chance to get to him but you know I this is another thing you what is this what I learned yeah I learned how to deal with people through life but I'm never right about it <laughs> you know I mean it just everybody surprises me and that's another thing I used you know I used to really think what was Warren Beatty like you know what was it you know and so and, and, and you, if they throw you if they come in with a uh, somebody else well with a friend or if they just something yeah, yeah. else happened, it's a different person no, you can't so I've it. just realized that these people are different they're all individual they all have their own you know quirks some of them yeah. are very depressed some of them more i like to be my challenge is just to get to them you know kind of, the fact that i could get to christopher walken yeah. and to get to you know linus pauling or you know or, or joyce carol Oates, you know or, or or norman mailer i mean it's fascinating to me to be able to try to get into their minds and what's interesting because you know, that dynamic is that you know they they are who they are because of their you know, of their work, but also because they've been celebrated somehow, and they're yeah. cultural icons, and, yeah. and they've done something amazing. Mm -hmm. And and I I, I think that you, you know what drives me, and that might drive you on some level, is yeah, it's compelling to be close to this power, mm -hmm. but it, it probably reveals some fundamental uh, insecurity on behalf of yourself. No, I don't feel I, I don't feel insecure. I I, I accept the fact that they are more talented. 
talented, let's say, in their field than I am. But you want to be a writer, and you're like, there's something that you cannot... I don't cannot... want to be a writer. I am a writer. Right. I've been writing for 50 some years. I'm sorry. I mean, insult you. But he, That's but, not insult. That's but, okay. You, no, you are a writer. Yeah. But I'm saying, in this process, you know, you want to write novels, all right? And, and it's just in my mind, I know, you know, there's, it, I know the thrill of being close to, you know, to famous people. Right. They, and, 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 you know, no matter how much you want to humanize them, it's still daunting, mm-hmm. and it's still exciting. And, you know, as a guy that's going to go in there and, and, and have this access and then sort of figure out where they're coming from and how they're doing and develop this relationship and where they are emotionally and why they are who they are, that's a powerful position. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess it is, but I don't, I don't do you but you the have, power. I guess my point is, is that you, you, have been, you have been hurt, you know, by, you know, the, the assumption that yeah. you had relationships. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and listen, but then I write about it. The thing is, is that, you know, you survived through all this and you, and I think what's interesting is that, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a challenge now, but, but, but conversely, you, you're actually doing exactly what you wanted to do. Exactly. Now. Finally, you've come to realize that <laughs> I have been doing what I wanted to do my whole life. I have always felt like somehow I've never worked. Mm-hmm. I've worked hard, yeah. but I've never worked because I loved it. I loved when I interviewed Mae West the yeah. first time, I, you know, right. my first love. I loved when I got the Truman Capote. I mean, I, I mean, who? Yeah. Saul Bellow. Sure. I'm going to talk to Saul Bellow. I read this guy when I was, a, you know, in my right. life. It's so wonderful. You're doing it. You don't right. hate it. You love it. I know, but you know? see, there's still that thing. Like I want to write. I want to write and play music. But you've written a book. Well, that's different. Music is a different story. <laughs> you gotta, no, I want to be uh, like. I, there's no, things I, I want to do in comedy that that you know that there's you, some part about living your life through other people, even if it's interviewing, right. as is compelling as it is. That there there there's some part of you. Yeah, and I can hear it in the way that you talk about your acceptance in this country. That you know now you know it's not the interviews right that you want to be necessarily right. known for that was your job and you right. had a great time right but now you're writing books exactly exactly but you're on tv you're I doing know. your you're show right. you're right you're all over. You're right I, I can't believe it. every time i turn on your podcast it says hey folks i'm going to be in here 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 i'm doing this, this. finally go, what the hell he's all over the finally. place he's in the magazines now well, well, just 25 so, years all right well hey listen it can be 40 <laughs> But you were making a good living before. I'm making a decent living, yes. You were the, all the way through it. Yeah. Not, not me so much. Yeah. <laughs> so now, okay, so let's 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 do business. Yeah, okay. You all right? <laughs> so if they Lawrence Grobell is where they can get your books on Kindle. Do you have a website where can I have they... a website, lawrencegrobell.com. Because I think it's a tremendous resource. And I you know, yeah. I have a lot of respect for what you've done and what you do. I do. And I'm glad that uh, our friend Janine put us together because yeah. I wouldn't have thought of it. And I was yeah. resistant at first. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great talking to you, Larry. You too. I guess I could go for weeks. I could interview him again. There, I'm sure there's no end to the stories, perhaps. Perhaps there's uh, one day I'd get to the truth of whatever I was looking for with Larry Grobel, which was you know, how he really felt about having that proximity to celebrities. Like, I, I didn't feel like I got deep enough with him. Maybe that's why you got to interview somebody over and over again. Maybe not. So Merry Christmas to you and uh, Happy Holidays. I just put up a premium, a bonus episode uh, on the WTF Premium app. So you can go get the free app. Upgrade to Premium. Get that bonus uh Bonus episode where I took a tour of a vinyl uh, pressing plant, a record pressing plant. Anyways, um, oh, oh, have a cookie. Boomer lives! <laughs> <laughs>